Well, I'm excited to be here. Um, it looks like some of you are planning on staying awake, so that's good. But I have a couple preemptive things to talk about here. So first of all, I want to clarify something with my relationship with Pablo back there, with Paul, okay? Um, I would love to claim him as a friend, um, but in public, he's a little hesitant to, you know, associate with me for good reason, and you'll find that out as we go on. I'm a little bit of a strange individual, but let me tell you something about him, just because um, you need to know this. Uh, most of you, looking around, most of you, I, I understand, are not uh, parents, okay? I'm taking a wild guess at most of this. <laughs> so looking around, it's like, I feel like I'm, you know, making, making contact here. Okay, so most of you are not parents. So let me just tell you about how amazing Paul is. Okay, so Paul, when was the baby born? When? when? Tuesday. Tuesday. All right, so Tuesday. So um, I've had three kids, by the way. They're five, three, and one now. So I'm an expert on what it's like to survive, but barely. Um, so let me just tell you that when you have a child, this is, this is the, okay, are you taking notes yet? Take notes on this. This is really important, okay? What happens is, depending on how things go, you might have been well-rested up to when the child comes. But as soon as you have the child, um, believe it or not, there's a little known, there's, there's this little known window between 24 and 48 hours where you actually have more energy. It's called adrenaline, okay? I don't know if they taught you that in school. I don't know what they're teaching these days. So adrenaline, you know, so you're feeling great about having this kid. I mean, it, because it's as if there was no child here and then now there is, okay? The child has transitioned from internal um, life to now external and it's, it becomes very real very quickly. And so you're pumped up and it's great, but then, there's something that happens, okay? So this is where if you're, I need a diagram. Why am I, there's no whiteboard here, Paul. I need to draw this. Okay, well, <laughs> okay, so it's fine. I mean, just visualize this, okay? It's a, <laughs> it's a, I appreciate the willingness to help, but you know, it's like, it's, you know, okay, for the diagram, immediately you have this spike in energy, which is only commensurate with the drastic fall when you are prohibited from sleeping with this, child wonder, okay? So it's, it's as if, okay, things are great. This feels awesome. The Lord has brought life into the world. This is amazing. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh, boom, but there's no more sleeping. Um, yeah, it's just, and it gets compounded, especially when you have two kids, because this isn't Paul's first rodeo, second, second rodeo, which means that the first child didn't disappear, okay? The first child is still there, okay? And that means that it's, it's no longer like, okay, we need a timeout when the baby's taking a nap, we're going to also take a nap because there's still that other child, okay? And I don't know if you knew this, but a child left to themselves will die, okay? So it's one of those little known facts where you actually need to care for the child. So um, this was important. So what I'm, why I'm telling you this is because uh, Paul is here. Because somehow the Lord has granted him survival up to this point. And this is, I think you should take this as the greatest compliment in the world that he wants to be here with you. So I'm just telling you that, you know, Paul is, is special to spend time with you. And 
Um, if you take that for granted, so help me, I will hunt you down and there will be unkind words said because Christians aren't allowed to express profanity, so unkind words are the best I can do. Okay, just so we're clear on that, you know, Paul's an amazing guy for being here and uh, just making sure that this, this is running well. You guys are, I, I'm so glad he gets to be here with the college ministry. It's, it's going to be a great time. So um, on that note then, transitioning to uh, self-centered topics, how many of you have never seen my face before? Raise your hand. All right, count yourself blessed. But now you are among the cursed, okay? Um, because, uh, well, what is? Uh, my wife says I am unforgettable, but she doesn't mean that in like a good way, okay? So it's one of those things where, you know, it is what it is. But uh, alas, here we are together. So I know this is, this is part of the deal, okay? I know we don't know each other so, so great. So let's, let's, let's get to know each other for one just brief moment in time, okay? So whoever is the sharpest and most daring, ask me anything, and I'll tell you the answer, okay? Ask me a question. Anything. Where am I from? That was so daring of you. Uh, <laughs> are you sure you don't want to take that back? That was very risky. Uh, okay, so I am from northern Minnesota. I don't know if you knew that was a state in the United States, but it is. Uh, very many people uh, don't live there because it's so cold. In fact, it snowed there just a couple weeks ago. And so, yeah, it's pretty cold. The, oh, in line with that, anyone else from Minnesota here? I'm from Alaska. Oh, well, you got me beat. Alaska is definitely uh, further north, except sometimes Minnesota gets a little colder. Russia, well, that's pretty good. I'm impressed. Um, now, I will say, okay, what's the coldest you've ever experienced in Fahrenheit? Yeah, well, let's see. What is it? It's the same at like negative 40, isn't it? I think so. Isn't that right? Fahrenheit and Celsius are the same. Yeah. See, I learned something once upon a time. In, in, uh, so that's super cold, obviously. Now, the coldest I've ever experienced was negative 70, but that's with the wind chill. I think it was like 50 and then with wind chill. So it's like nothing, right? But let's put that in perspective. Like, what was it today? Was it like 90 today? So that's like 80. Okay, so 80 today. So what is that? Uh, now my math is struggling. So if we're going from like, that's 150, something like that. Is that, what, where, aren't you guys in college? What is negative 70 to 80? Isn't that 150 or do you? Okay, thank you. I was gonna say, like, I think I'm doubting myself here. So yes, uh, the frozen tundra of Northern Minnesota doesn't quite parallel to Siberia. So um, yes, that is probably one of the coldest places on the planet. But I have been on the hottest, in the hottest place in the United States, in Death Valley in California as well. So that's kind of exciting, unless you don't like heat and pain. But regardless, um, that's kind of, that's the most interesting thing about my life. I grew up in Minnesota, and I went to Death Valley. So my favorite hobby, ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, so I grew up uh, doing a lot of sports. So I basically, I like anything sports related. Like, uh, I love Frisbee, you know. I love, uh, I love chess. Does that count as a sport? Not really. It's kind of, yes, well, you would love chess. Yes, you and I need to become friends because 
Um, yes, uh, chess is amazing. So, uh, yeah, so it's, I, I like anything active. Uh, in California, I used to hike all the time. And so, yeah, a lot, a lot of interesting things. So, all right, one more, yeah. Favorite of the Old Testament covenants. Wow. Um, what is your name? Jenna. Jenna. Okay, excellent. Well, I will say that is a great question. My favorite is the Davidic covenant. Was that a surprise to anyone? The Davidic covenant. Uh, and I would tell you why, but we don't have time. Yeah, like I could actually. Uh, I don't know. I'm actually really tempted to go down that road. So what I do for a living is I teach like Old Testament uh, survey classes. And so just to give you a brief glimpse into, I don't know if you're going to enjoy this glimpse, but one of the things I enjoy doing is when I'm teaching the Old Testament studies classes, and Paul can attest to this actually since he had to suffer um, through a couple of my classes, is that when I get to 2 Samuel 7 in the Old Testament when we're surveying, and I teach on the Davidic covenant, it usually takes me two full class periods, which is a total of six hours to talk about that covenant. So I just really enjoy talking about that. But to be fair, I also enjoy talking about many biblical things. So it's kind of a wash with regard to that, because I can talk for a long time on many things, which I don't know. That's either a good thing or a bad thing, as you'll find out. Actually, on that note, let's redeem the time. Some of you are saying like, okay, enough of you. Boring. Move us on. Okay. I agree with you. I just wanted to be more personal. You know, whenever you're talking to people that don't know you, it's important to put either your best foot or your worst foot forward initially. So that way the contrast is there no matter what. You didn't understand what I was saying, right? Okay. Excellent. All right. Let's go to Psalm 119. Uh, We're going to go to Psalm 119. I love Psalm 119. Uh, And we're going to Go uh, in verse 97, all right? Now, why are we jumping into the middle of a psalm? Well, we could do the entire psalm, but we would literally be here for months, okay? So we're not going to do that. Now, the way Psalm 119 is divided is it's divided into eight verse sections. So starting in verse 1, obviously, you're going um, through Psalm 119, and in have you heard of the term like uh, an acrostic before? It's kind of like a crossword puzzle in one sense, but it's basically you're, you're taking each subsequent letter of the alphabet. So in English, it would be like A, B, C, D, and I can't remember the rest of them, but whatever. Um, it's one of those things where you're going down the alphabet, right? And so what an acrostic is, is you take each su- successive letter and you make a word for it. So... Um, Awesome, Billy, Chris Kringle. No, that's with a K. But we can spell it with a C. Um, Charlie. That's like that's like the um, uh, what do you call that? Uh, Alpha Bravo Charlie Delta. What's what do you call that alphabet? Is that really what it is? I like I, I like it. No, it's and that is uh, where was I going on that? Oh, actually, that's an acrostic is anyways. You're going down the alphabet list and you're just making words for that. And they can have some sort of outline idea or they can have some sort of uh, intrinsic value to a subject matter that you're talking about. So that's what an acrostic is. Psalm 118 is actually the the most massive acrostic you can ever imagine, okay? So there are 22 letters 
in the Hebrew alphabet. And so the psalm here, Psalm 119, is, is taking eight verses, and they're all starting with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then the second eight verses are all starting with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then the third set of eight verses are... So that's how this psalm is organized. So each subunit of Psalm 119 is, is cohesive as one unit, but then it's also interrelated to the rest of Psalm 119. So we're stopping off in verses 97 through 104. That's one unit here. And the reason why I decided this would be a, a good place to spend our time is because this, the central theme of this psalm, this section of the psalm, 97 through 104, is all about the priority of God's word or the superiority of God's word. Okay, And this is, this is such an important message. I mean, if you could remember one thing in your young lives, this would be the thing to remember. Because it's through this gateway, it's through understanding that no matter where you're at in life, what situation you're at in life, no matter who is, uh, you know, oppressing you, no matter, you know, whether you're fighting for your life or whether you're in a time of uh, plenty and whatever, God's word is going to be where you must gravitate to. That, that has all the answers. And so I, I love how the psalmist paints this picture in 97 through 104. I always come back to this, especially in our culture, which tells us things like, well, sorry, you can't have an opinion on this because you don't fit that profile, right? And uh, a culture that has embraced what's called standpoint reasoning um, maybe you've heard that term before, maybe you haven't, but basically what, that, what the culture teaches us in our higher uh, education institutions is that if you don't have a certain experience, you don't have the authority to speak on something. Therefore, men can't speak on abortion. Therefore, um, uh, if you are white, you can't speak on ethnic issues, all these issues. It's, it's standpoint epistemology that because you don't have a certain standpoint, because you haven't experienced something, you can't have an opinion. You, you can't know something, okay? That's what the culture is telling you. If you don't believe me, if you haven't heard that yet, but you guys are in college, you have to have heard that, right? So this is, this is the typical thing that's being taught, you know, time and time again. But what the psalmist is going to say is, listen, there is one surefire way that you can know. You can know. So this this section of the psalm is all about epistemology. It's all about how, and by the way, when I'm talking about epistemology, I'm talking about how we know we know, right? How, how do we come to a grasp of actually knowing things? And so 97 to 104 really gives us some, some helpful insight into that. So there's not really a fancy outline. There's not like three points or anything like that. I think it's just really helpful to walk each verse because it, it's Hebrew poetry. So it's not necessarily intended to be given in a, well, this is point number one, the psalmist does this, and then point number two, he does this. I mean, you could try to come up with an outline that way, and that's, that'd be fine, but I think it's actually very powerful just to walk through each verse and watch as his train of thought develops, okay? I think that that's super, super helpful, super powerful. So starting with verse 97, this is his introduction to the whole theme, okay? So in verse 97, he says, how I love your law... All the day it is my meditation. And right away, I don't know about you, but I, I see a difference in my life in contrast to the psalmist's life. Um, at least the temptation is there, right? Because the psalmist is, is starting off saying, how I love your law. Now, 
I don't know about you. How many of you, well, I don't know if I, I don't want to, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I wanted to ask like how many of you are doing like a Bible through or like reading a Bible in a year program or something like that, but I will not embarrass you if you're not or whatever I don't want, or if you are, I don't want to embarrass you. But the reason it's, it's on my mind, the reason um, it comes up here is because many of us, as we read the Bible, uh, we lose our way come the rigors and dangers of Leviticus, right? I mean, I, I, I sensed an amen. I didn't hear an amen. That's not what we as college-age individuals do, but uh, I, I sensed it. I sensed it. I think, you know, um, you, you liked it on Instagram or whatever they call those apps these days. Um, you'll find out very quickly that I'm, I'm old school. I still believe in the book of faces. So it's, it's I, I, can't, I can't change who I am. So in any case, uh, I know when we get to Leviticus and Numbers, Oh, yeah, numbers. Man, <laughs> she's like, genealogy and this, and there were 1,000 people here and 2,000 people there, and three, and all these people equal 697,000. And she's like, okay, you know, that's, is that edifying to you? I, it should be. But uh, that's where we get lost, right? We, we were reading through it, and we're like, oh, boy, this is, this is bad. And you're like, okay, well, let's, let's go to the Gospel of John again. You know, like, start that. You know, that's, that's I, I know, I've been there, okay? But then I got my doctorate in Old Testament, and now I'm no longer allowed to say those things. So it's, it's one of those things where, okay, but look at what the psalmist says. He's talking about the law, and the law is Leviticus. Okay, it's Leviticus. It's, it's Numbers. It's Deuteronomy and part of Exodus, of course. But he's saying, I love this. And right away, there's this disconnect where, where you're thinking, all right, how could you love that? How could you love the law. How could you love the law? Well, two observations just from how he talks about it is he, he understands, first of all, that it's not just random law, it's your law, right? He understands, and this is going to come up later in the psalm, but he understands that it comes from God. And so just like anything, the, the laws that are most valuable come from the valuable source, right? And so he understands that this comes from God and therefore it's reflecting what God wants. And that in and of itself is pretty special, right? I mean, I don't know if you've thought in those terms before, but you really ought to. When you are reading scripture, you should never lose the wonder that this actually comes from God. That's pretty awesome. That's very awesome. And uh, so that's the first thing, understanding that it comes um, from God and coupled with that, he understands that by it, God is teaching him how to live life. And we're going to develop that theme just a little, little bit um, in a later uh, section of this psalm. But I think it's important to start our minds on, on that track where the reason the psalmist is drawn to the law, the reason he loves it so much is because it's a reflection of God and because it teaches him how to live. Okay? Now, you might say, well, how in the world does, does reading about, you know, how you're supposed to slaughter a one-year-old lamb teach me how, how to live life, okay? There is a way, okay? There is a way, uh, but sometimes we're, we're just, well, we're ignorant sometimes. Sometimes we're lazy. Nobody said the reading the Bible was easy, by the way, okay? Let's drop that out of our minds right now, okay? Nobody said it was easy. Uh, and, well, I mean, just thinking about... Uh, um, 
the, the students who go, the, the, I don't know if you knew this, um, there, there's a seminary, a school, a graduate school for studying the Bible here called Shepherd's Theological Seminary. Um, people who want to come uh, study more about the Bible, learn about it, uh, come, and usually there's a bunch of night classes and whatever. Um, so uh, Paul actually just graduated, um, he, and it took him four years to go through, right? And he was moving at a pretty good clip. It, four years to study and graduate uh, the Bible. Now, that's not saying everybody needs to do that, right? And you can study the Bible without that. I'm just saying that that should immediately tell you, wait a second, there's a lot to know about this. There's a lot to study. Now, that shouldn't discourage you. That should encourage you saying, well, there's a lifelong process. And that's why the psalmist ties in this last part, too, of verse 97. He says, how I love your law, all the day it is my meditation. Now, what he's talking about there is that I'm always thinking about this. And those of you who have done Bible study, those of you who are, who are uh, you know, you've, you've not just shown up and, and been at Bible study, although that's a great start, but maybe you, you've, you know, checked out a book at a library or maybe you bought a book. Now, you, you're college students, you didn't buy a book. You know, it's, you, you checked it out. You know, there, there are these great things called libraries. You know, you check it out. You listen to audiobooks, whatever, podcasting. You, you've been spending some time studying the Bible, and, and you start to get a glimpse of what this might look like where you're always thinking about this. You're always thinking, well, what would that mean in the Bible? And, and what would, what, how would that relate to this passage? And there's just so much. It's so deep, and you can never exhaust it. And so that's what the psalmist is, is already starting to talk about, is the, the more I meditate on this, I'm meditating it on all day, and I love it. I love everything about your law because it's teaching me about you. Now, that in and of itself would be enough. Wouldn't it? I mean, if, if, if I'm studying something that helps me know about the creator of the universe and helps me know about why he created me and my purpose in life, amazing. I would love that. But there are other reasons why it's, that's so amazing as well. And so now he, he drops three major truth bombs on us in 98, 99, and 100. So in 98, he says, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. They are always with me, your commandments they are. It's, and here we see the first insight is, is comparatively, he has three comparisons coming up, is that it doesn't just teach him about God, but it also comparatively makes him wiser than those who are trying to oppress him. Right? And this is one of, the, one of the greatest insights of Psalm 119 in particular. This is a theme that keeps showing up time and time again where you have the psalmist reflecting on life and those who are trying to oppress him, his, his enemies, the arrogant ones who are trying to dissuade him from, from God's word. And one of the things he keeps coming back to is each time I'm faced with this oppression, I go back to God's word. And here, one of the reasons he gives for that is because God's word makes him wiser than those who are trying to do him harm. And so just on a very practical application, you know, all things considered and Lord willing, you're, you're at the very beginning of your life. You really are. Like you have many years ahead of you should the Lord will. And you are going to come up with very, very difficult times. You are. That's just part of life. And it's part of living in a fallen world. And it's probably rare that, that anybody here has gotten along with everybody already in their life, okay? But even if you have, even if you've never made an enemy in your life, you will. 
Okay, you will. That's part of what it means to live a godly life. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, all those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. So, are you the exception to Paul's rule? You are not. That was a test question. You all failed. There was, there was less response than I wanted. I wanted you to say, I am not. <laughs> Two of you will be passing this class. The rest of you have abjectly failed. Uh, it's okay. We, we, have some, we have some room for growth, right? Room for growth. That's part of, part of, uh, part of growth is recognizing the problem. All right? I know these things. All right, that's what my wife tells me all the time, okay? Okay, so, so we understand then that, that this, is, this, is, this has direct application. You know, the, when we, we are faced with the challenges of life, those who would be oppressing us or persecuting us, and it can be big or small, God's word provides the wisdom beyond how they understand or how they think, right? Now, that would be one thing because we might say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. People who are idiots who are trying to hurt us or oppress us, like, sure, God's word makes us wiser than them, whatever. But that's not where he stops, right? And that's kind of low-hanging fruit, as it were. I mean, it's important, but it's pretty easy. I mean, most of us never think of, uh, like, a bully or somebody who's, who's uh, oppressing us as, as a noble, wise individual, right? But notice what else he says in verse 99. He says, I have more wisdom than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And now here's, here's one of those things where we, we, we are pinpointing and targeting this, this idea of standpoint epistemology, where you have to experience something to, to know it. And uh, one of the ways that God has designed the world, uh, through the family, through school, like Society is defined this way, to be sure. Uh, there, there is a gift of a teacher. A teacher is an incredible gift because what the teacher teaches is something that you can learn without having to experience it, right? So usually a teacher would be somebody who's an expert in something, right? So you might go, like for example, in your college classes, you go to learn chemistry from the piano teacher, right? Yeah, that would be crazy and quite alarming. But uh, you go to the guy who got his PhD in chemistry, right? He is an expert. He has studied the field. He knows the ins and outs of it. He can explain it. If you woke him up at 3 a.m., he could just start rattling off the periodic table of elements, which all I know, what is AR? Argon. Argon. I always think like Aragorn, and that's like, but that's not right. That's, he's not in the periodic table of elements. So in any case, that has now exhausted my chemistry knowledge, okay? So the point is you would not be learning chemistry from me, right? But that's the point of, of teachers is a teacher is going to exercise their expertise, right? And that, that makes sense. Now, what the psalmist is telling you here is, yeah, teachers are valuable things. He's, he's, not knowing, he's, he's not discounting that at all. But what he's saying is that I attain more wisdom than they. I know more than them. And the reason that he gives, and this is key, it's not as if he's just saying, oh, I know more. I mean, lots of people probably think they know more than their teachers, right? But he gives a very 
important clarification here is the reason he knows more, the reason he has this wisdom and knowledge and success more than his teachers is because he is meditating on God's testimonies. And I think it's important to understand that that is a, a very important synonym for God's word, right? Because the, when, when scripture is talking about God's testimony, it's, well, I mean, think about the idea of a court case. You know, when somebody gives a testimony, they are giving their account of what happened, right? So when we t- think about God's word as his testimony, it is his account of what we need to know. That's pretty awesome if you think about that. That's, that's really awesome. And that's in and of itself, the fact that it comes from God, it's his testimony about life, that's what makes him wiser than his teachers. Now, I don't encourage you to just like go through college and, you know, write this verse out on a card and just put it, you know, on your desk for all the teachers to see, you know, probably not a great way to make friends and influence people. But it is something to keep in mind is that, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have, I remember actually talking to a, a chemistry professor uh, at school one time, and he was, we were debating evolution and creation. And he basically, his argument was, do you know what an isotope is and how it functions? And I told him, well, not as well as you. And he said, well, then we can't have this conversation. And so I drop kicked him. And no, I'm just kidding, I didn't. But um, <laughs> it's like, then I went to jail for a couple of years. But it's, no, that's not what happened. But, but notice that his appeal was to expertise, right? His appeal was to you can't know because you don't have all this expertise locked up. And that's not what the scripture says, right? The scripture doesn't say you need to know the ins and outs of isotopes and chemistry and all of those things before you can know something. No, it doesn't say that. Now, it's helpful to know that. And of course, I went back and studied and learned all that stuff, right? You have to. But it, that's not what gives you wisdom. That's not, that's not the key ingredient to knowing. And so the psalmist here is saying, listen, the key to all of this, to knowing more than your teachers, is to be meditating on God's word. Now, he goes on in verse 100 and gives the third and final comparison here. And he says, I have discernment and understanding more than the elders for your statutes I keep. Now, here again, we have a very similar idea because on the one hand, teachers are supposed to be experts in their field, right? They know the ins and outs. Well, what do, what do old people contribute to knowledge? Experience. They've learned it, right? They, they've, they've gone through it. Right? And so, and by the way, that's why uh, Proverbs is replete with instruction for the young to give honor to those who are old because they have lived through it, right? And that really bugs me to no end when I see people who are just like, oh, you're old, you don't know what's going on. It's like, they know way more than you do. You know, it's just like, let's, let's be honest, you know. Uh, in fact, uh, Proverbs says that gray hair is a badge of honor. It really does. And uh, I don't have any honor yet, but Lord willing, soon. Okay, that's I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping for that, um, and I'm not. I'm not actually kidding. I, th- I do actually think um, you know it is. It is a. Uh, it is a badge of honor um, attributing wisdom to a life that has learned things, and and so the aged are respected throughout Scripture, definitely because of because of what they've done, because of what they've experienced, and how many times have you? Um, 
probably not as much as you should have, but how many times have you gone to somebody who's older and asked their advice and got some just great feedback because they've gone through something like that, right? And you're just like, oh, that is so good and way better of an idea than what I was going to do. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course. It's like I remember, um, you know, I, I, I remember asking um, my dad for advice one time, like, you know, sometime after college, you know, when, you know, at some point you're always supposed to ask, but then there's a transition in life where you start wanting to ask. And now it's like, there, there have been times in my life where I've called my dad like six or seven times like in a day because I'm working through a decision, I'm getting new information or whatever. And I'm like, I know you're getting sick of me, but I just, I need to clarify something. So this is what's happening now. Like, what do you think about this or whatever? And uh, it's just, it's just great. Sometimes you get fantastic advice. And I remember one time just really working through an issue and, and just being like, okay, I have no idea what to do. So I called my dad and he's just like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, you actually don't need to do anything. I was like, what do you mean I don't need to do anything? He's like, yeah, it's going to solve itself. Just don't worry about it. I was like, what? I was like, that doesn't make any sense. You don't know what you're talking about. So then, like, later in the day, like, it solved itself. You know, I didn't need to do anything. I'm like, ah, you were right. Curses. You know, it's just like, again. It's like, but that's just part of life, right? Um, and Scripture acknowledges that, right? We, we understand that. But what Scripture also pinpoints is that experience is not the only way of gaining wisdom, right? You don't have to, and this is what my mother told me all the time, okay? So I'm telling you this, okay? I'm passing down wisdom gleaned from my parents. My mother told me, it's a lesson, well-learned, well-received mother. I have received it. Um, she said, you do not need to get hit by a semi to know it's a bad idea. No amens? Amen, amen. That is... Getting hit by a semi is a terrible idea, okay? And we all intuitively can rationalize that and come to that understanding without experiencing it, right? I mean, the whole idea that you need to experience something in order to know about it is irrational, okay? It's just completely illogical. And Scripture teaches us that, right? Scripture itself is saying, listen, I have more understanding than the elders, those who have experienced life, and the reason it is because I keep your statutes. So in other words, as I'm applying God's law, as I'm, I'm gleaning through what he himself has revealed, I gain more wisdom than those who have even experienced life. And by the way, Proverbs is all about uh, what we would call vicarious wisdom, wisdom that you can glean through other people's experience. I think that's great. I think it's really helpful to do that. But that's not a necessity. You can learn things. Well, and I hope this sinks into somebody's mind here, okay? So I'm about to tell you something that will change your life if you understand this, is that you can learn more than you should know. You can be wiser than you should be. Okay? There is... There is this thing out there, call it what you wish. Uh, it is cultural pressure saying that, you know, you're young, enjoy life, you know, like, you know, you can glean wisdom later or whatever. Poppycock. That's what they say in my home country. I'm just kidding. I don't even know where that comes from. But it's, it's totally false. Is it from Great Britain? Sounds great like Great Britain to me. I'll throw it in there. Um, it's not... Put it this way, yeah, you can, it, let's say, I mean, there's water in North Carolina, right? If you were in a boat, 
If you were in a boat and somebody shoved you off the shore and, I don't know, some, who's a physics major? Anyone a physics major in here? Oh. A biology? Okay, well, all right, so here's the thing. If somebody, all right, I should draw, like, I should have got that whiteboard up here, but I'm not going to anymore. So it's like, sit back down, David. <laughs> so it's one of those things where if, if you shove the boat off, okay, you, you, are, you are student X. You are in the boat. Somebody shoves you off. You could run the calculation and say, okay, based on the water trajectory and how uh, my momentum as I'm crossing this lake, I will arrive at the other side in approximately 2,003 years, right? You could run that calculation. You could know that uh, variable to the wind factors and all that, right? Okay, yeah, you could run that calculation. Student Y could pick up the oar and row to the other side in 30 minutes, right? You get to the same destination, and so the thing to remember is it's not about how long you've been in the boat, it's about how hard you've been rowing, okay? Internalize that. Think about that. It's not about just spending time in life. It's about how you treat life. And so you should all be podcasters, readers. I, I hesitate to say it, but YouTubers. There's actually a lot of good stuff on YouTube. There's also, as you start watching the really good stuff, you're like, but wait, cat video, I must click. You know, it's just like, okay, yeah, YouTube is potentially a disaster. So go there if you dare, but be strong-willed. Only the strong survive YouTube, okay? So you, you understand that. Uh, it, it's not just about how long you're in the boat, but it's how hard you've been rowing. You can, you can take the bull by the horns. You can, you can row hard. You can glean wisdom. And you too could, like the psalmist, say, I have more understanding than the elders because I've treated this as a priority. Now, it won't happen in a week. It won't happen in a month. But you give it time and you will be wise. In fact, one of the things I love about Proverbs 2, you should mark that in your mind, because Proverbs 2 is one of the greatest passages ever on how you get wisdom. And one of the things that Proverbs 2 does is it, is it raises the question, if you want wisdom, if you want to be wise, the completion of the if statement there, then seek for it, search for it, as you would for hidden gold, whatever. And you get to the end of Proverbs 2 and you're like, what in the world did I just read? Because what it says in essence, this is the summary, is that if you want wisdom, the secret to getting wisdom is seek wisdom. You're like, what? And the reason is actually quite profound. If you're tracking with what uh, Solomon's saying there, is he's saying the actual way that you you know, attain all this wisdom is you actually have to develop a process of getting it. Simple and yet actually very profound and often ignored by pretty much everybody. So if you want to stand out, if you want to actually be biblical, get wisdom. And so the psalmist talks about just the beauty of God's word being the foundation for all this. Notice he says, wiser than uh, enemies, than teachers, than elders. And notice that there is an explanatory clause after uh, the second part of each verse there, second part of 98, second part of 99, and second part of 100, always giving credit to God's law. That is the key. That is why he is wiser than these individuals. That's why it works that way, because it's not his wisdom, it's God's. It's coming from him. All right, so moving on then, 
last four verses here. So in verse 101, he says, so after he's, he's painted this comparative picture, talking about just how awesome uh, God's, God's word is and all this and how, how it's just giving him such great wisdom. In verse 101, he says, uh, I, restrain my, I restrain my feet from every evil way. And why, you ask? Why does he do this? Why, why does he intentionally restrain himself from evil? Well, the, half, the second half explains it. In order that I might keep your word. Now, this is, all right, let's, let's, have you heard this before? One of the things that's been brought out before, and I think it's true, okay, this is true, I'm not, but this is interesting. Okay, normally when we think of this, we think of, we think of truth as, okay, we need to know God's word so that it keeps us from sin. Have you heard that, that uh, saying, um, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book, that saying before? I don't know, it's an old saying. I heard it once. So that's usually what we think about is, oh, I, I need to be in the word so that I can be growing and be sanctified. That's true. But notice what the psalmist says here is the opposite of that. That's not really the opposite, but it's the corollary. It's different. It's different. He doesn't say, I need to be more in the word. He says, I need to restrain my life from sin in order that I might keep the law. So it's reversed. Do you see that? Give me some sort of physical affirmation that you are seeing what I'm seeing. That is even better. That is even better. Physical and verbal. We'll take it. So, and the reason that's important is because I think we, we shouldn't discount that. You know, we don't want to become people who are just like, oh, it doesn't matter how you live, just get in the word. It doesn't matter what you do, just get in the word. Get in the word, brother. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're doing, just get in there, brother. You know, it's like, okay, we can, we can do that. It's a disaster. You know, what scripture often does is it does put a focus on what our lives look like. And so I'm just going to throw this out there. Some of you probably don't know God's word as you ought to just because you're just so content to be walking in the ways that you shouldn't, right? Well, let's be realistic. It happens to all of us. Uh, it sometimes happens in a habitual way to all of us. But what the psalmist is saying here is, is I love the law. I want to keep the word. And so my motivation is I keep myself from those things so that I can keep the word then. That's just beautiful. And it's often opposite of how we think. And so I think that's really important to, to meditate on that aspect where it actually does matter how you live. It really does. All right, verse 102. No, he goes on, Sarah, and he says, I do not turn from your judgments, for you have taught me. I just want to make the simple point here, which we talked about a little earlier, is as he's progressing in thought here, he's saying the, the reason I don't turn away from your judgments, the reason that I am on the, that, that I see it, I love it, and I do it, it's because you taught me. You are the one. And I think there's an incredible value to just recognizing again and reminding ourselves of the fact that God is the one who has given us God's word. He is the one who has orchestrated it. He has revealed it. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, I don't know who our favorite people are. I don't know. My favorite, one of my favorite people is my wife. And so I put value on what she says because 
I value her. So what she says is inherently valuable to me. And maybe you have a special friend, a best friend or whatever, and whatever they tell you, you're just like, oh yeah, I love, I love that. I love that because they said that, you know? Well, that's, that's the motivating factor here is that because God has said something, that's why the psalmist is keeping it. That's why, going back to verse 97, that's why he loves it. And just the simple application here, the question that we need to ask ourselves is that if you don't love God's word, what does that reveal about what you think of God? You can't say you love God and you don't love his word. That's not how it works. So if there's, if there's <laughs> just like if, if you were in like a relationship with somebody, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I love that person so much. And then I looked at your phone and be like, yeah, you have 30 unread text messages from that person. Well, yeah, but I love them. I mean, I just, I don't really care about reading what they have to say, but I, I love them. It's like, okay, goodbye. You know, it's just like, no, thank you. I think you've, you know, dropped off the uh, insanity ledge, if you know what I mean. So it's, it's one of those things where, where when we truly understand the value of an individual, then we, we value what they say. And, and the psalmist is saying, I don't turn from your judgments because you yourself taught me. You are the one who taught me, and I value that. Well, he goes on in, in 103 talking about the value of God's word, and he says, how sweet it is, how sweet your word is to my, to my taste. It's sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, I don't know, some of you do like honey, some of you don't, but honey was a delicacy in the ancient Near East. It was, uh, I mean, they didn't have like artificial sugars or anything like that, so honey was basically the sweetest thing, the best tasting thing you could have, right? So what he's saying is this isn't a drag to me. I love it. I love it. I don't know what, you know, ice cream. I don't know. It's, it's difficult for me because I'm not really big into sweets myself. Like, I mean, I like them, but I don't love them. And I can go years without eating them, seriously. So it's not really a big deal to me. So I don't know how to put this into contemporary jargon. But uh, my wife would, would say this is, this is the sunny skies of the Bible, Okay. I've never had sunny skies. I know. I hear it's good. My wife loves it. I'm just a sinner. So I have not, uh, I have not participated in that goodness of God's creation. But whatever, I mean, if, if you like a good steak, maybe that would be a good illustration here. I don't know. I'm reaching. I'm reaching, right? But the point is, the, psalm, the psalmist is saying, it's not like this is bitter. That's the point, is it's not a bitter. It's not, the idea, and again, this is what we fall prey to. And if, if this is your attitude, you really need, you're, you're wrong. Okay, I have, no way, I have no other way to tell you this. You're wrong if this is your attitude. If you are saying, I just don't like reading my Bible. I just, I just don't get into it. You know, it's like, I do it, but I just don't love it. You know, it's like, well, you're wrong. Okay, that's all there is to it. Now, I'm not saying that that excuses you. I'm not saying that, okay, just don't read your Bible if you don't like it. No, there is a discipline aspect to life because we are sinners. We are broken. But if you've never loved God's word, reality check, something is very, very wrong. okay. Something is very, very wrong. He concludes in verse 104, and it's a very fitting conclusion. Through your statutes, I have discernment. Okay, that's, that could summarize the whole psalm, right? Through your statutes, I have discernment. Therefore, I hate every false way. And this is, in our culture especially, a very fitting conclusion, is that when you truly are being 
instructed by God, meditating on Scripture, understanding what Scripture has to teach on these issues, you're just not going to be neutral. You're not going to just go through culture and just say like, well, yeah, whatever, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and everyone does their own thing, we're all happy, you know? That's not how it's going to work. You're, you're going to hate evil. And I know how it works. I, I know um, the temptation is there to, to like evil enough that you'll put up with it watching it on TV, or like evil enough that you'll listen to it. But you don't, I don't love it. I don't love evil. I just put up with it. I tolerate it. Now, if the word of God is working in your heart the way the psalmist is talking about here, you hate every false way. Right? It's a reality check for us. Are we okay? Are, are we content with the false ways? And I, I just want to warn you. I just want to warn you. Okay? This is a beautiful passage, one of my most favorite passages in all of the Bible, just because of the, just, it extols the value of God's word. It just paints it very, uh, it just paints a perfect picture with the comparative value of God's word, okay? But the danger is, the danger is, and we need to realize this, is that sometimes we think that this is an unattainable standard or we excuse ourselves saying, well, it's just not for me, or I just don't love God's word enough. That's fine, you know, whatever. Not everyone needs to love God's word, you know, that, that kind of thing. That's not, that's not true, okay? I'm not saying everyone needs to be at the same level of the knowledge of the Bible or anything like that. But there's a, there's a very simple principle. If you love God, you will love what he does. That's all there is to it. And scripture is God's revelation to us about how we ought to live, and why we ought to live that way. And if you're just ignoring that, I mean, I would just challenge you that something is seriously wrong and don't think you're okay because that's evidence of something deeper, right? So that's, that's the challenge before us tonight. And for those of us who are, who are really desiring this, you know, I like to just say, ask God for it. You know, ask God to help you attain this wisdom. To, to give you that desire for God's word and to, to take steps to pursuing that. That's the practical application. You know, a lot of times uh, life in, the Christian life can be so simple. You know, pray more and read more of the Bible. <laughs> you know, that's often just how we boil it down. But there's a beauty to it. It's not just a, a monotonous rote activity. There's, a, there's an incredible beauty to it. And so that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for all of us at this church. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you would just give us this message. It's, it's such a great reminder, Lord. Uh, our hearts are stirred. We, we understand the value of your word. It, it gives us knowledge and wisdom that far surpasses even our wildest dreams, Lord. And the reason is because it comes from you. And, Lord, what fools we would be if we ignored that. What fools we would be if we didn't care. So, Lord, I pray that you'd give each and every one of us a passion to know your word, to set wisdom in our hearts. Let us value it like silver, like gold, and do whatever it takes to get it. Not because of the benefit it gives to us, but because we want to be useful to you. 
we want to be used for your honor and glory. To this end we pray, amen.